Welcome nerds. It's time to debrief you on the world of pop culture. Loading up rockabilly track. Now refueling chainsaw. Preparing updates on movies, TV, wrestling and more. ANS 5.0 activates in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's episode, we've got film reviews for Uncharted and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Plus, who's leaving WWE this week? Hear all about it in wrestling. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some Amazing Nerd Show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Alright, up first we've got a rumor that a new Wolverine is set to make his MCU debut in the upcoming Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness film. Damon, it's 2022 and apparently anything is possible over at the magical kingdom of Disney. This story coming to us from the good old folks over at Illuminerdy claimed that Wolverine is set to make his first MCU appearance in Doctor Strange's Multiverse of Madness. While it is up in the air whether or not this is a variant version of the character or the MCU's official Wolverine, Illuminerdy does claim that it's not going to be Hugh Jackman picking up the role, which in my eyes is pretty interesting because we heard, you know, the voice of Patrick Stewart in the most recent trailer, who you know was the original Xavier in the Fox X-Men films. So like for me, if they were to introduce a new actor as Wolverine, I'd have to imagine that that would be the actor they would continue to use, as it would be kind of weird to just hire someone else right away after introducing a new character in this iconic X-Men role. I mean, it could also be a way to just put out feelers to see if fans like this portrayal, and if not, just say, hey, that was a variant and just fire that guy anyway. Or we could even get a variant of Wolverine that's not Logan. Like maybe we get Lauren as, you know, Wolverine or Dakin. Or, um, I believe there was another character in the Ultimate Universe that was also Wolverine. So, um, you know, who knows? Um, I'm just surprised if they are going to go the variant route, and this isn't the true, like, MCU version of Wolverine, then why not bring back Hugh Jackman? Yeah, exactly. Like, if, if this was to be a variant, why not be Hugh Jackman at that point? That's exactly what I was thinking. But when you do say it like that when it could be a, like one of the other versions that Wolverine was throughout the comics. I mean, maybe, but at the same time, I don't know if audiences are ready to explore different versions of this character. That's true, but I think it could be a fun way to just like wet their palate too, because mm -hmm. I doubt they're going to really be able to explore much about the character, but I feel like enough people have like a working knowledge of who Lauren is that it might be fun to see her as a fully realized version of Wolverine all grown up. No, um, I feel like even once we do get, you know, those X-Men films going, I feel like they'll get into Lauren uh, pretty fast. I hope so. She's a great character. But like, once again, I, I can't get over the fact that they wouldn't bring back Hugh Jackman just for one film. Because we were speculating a while back that the Secret Wars movie that is going to eventually happen would be a great way to have Hugh Jackman, you know, cameo at least in the MCU as his version of Wolverine. And then later on down the line, you could introduce like, you know, a younger version of Wolverine proper into the MCU. Because as we're seeing with like Patrick Stewart showing up as Professor X in Multiverse of Madness, this whole like multiverse angle is just a great way to like, you know, legendary actors versions of the characters on board without having to be kind of chained to them for the future. 
I mean, I'm still hoping for this film. If if there is a sighting of Wolverine, it's just maybe the claws coming out. I, I don't need them to like fully explore Wolverine in this. I don't need him to have a full scene. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I expect it just to be like a moment, you know, or mm. maybe he's helping Professor X or something or standing behind him, just kind of giving us a taste once again. I mean, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but I still want to brace people for the idea that Patrick Stewart isn't Xavier in this film. <laughs> Dude, he's totally Xavier. Most likely. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen the interviews of him, like, trying to downplay it? No, yeah, but I'm, they're totally, I'm sure they're, they're totally tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> like, he's like, who's Doctor Strange? I don't know what you're talking about. So if they do, though, cast our new Wolverine in this film for the MCU... Who would you like to see play it? Because honestly, I was thinking about it and I wouldn't mind it just being like some, you know, up and coming, no name actor, you know, that hasn't like broke big yet. I mean, because really that's what Hugh Jackman was originally in that X-Men film. Like no one really heard of Hugh Jackman till that point. So no, I think I'd be fine with that, too. And I, I feel like most of the people I would cast as Wolverine are probably already in the MCU at some point. So. Yeah. Or just too old. Too. Yes. Because I feel like they're going to really go for someone who's in their 20s, who, even though Logan doesn't age, can kind of, you know, grow with the role. Yes. So we're not all of a sudden looking at it like 60 something Logan, you know, in, in like 10 years. <laughs> well, they could do another lo- old man Logan film. It's, at like, that point. it's like your healing factor's not working there, Logan. Uh-huh. <laughs> all right. Up next, we've got Craven the Hunter casting news. Over at Sony, who are hard at work with their Spider-Man spinoffs, we get the potential casting of a couple new faces joining the Craven film. Illuminarity reports in that the film has found its Calypso, the supposedly female lead for this Spider-Man spinoff, with the actress Taylor Page, who is actually currently set for the Toxic Avenger film and best known for her role in Zola. On top of that, Deadline has also reported this week that the Craven the Hunter film will have the chameleon played by Fred Hetchinger, who Damon might recognize from the Fear Street films as Simon. I do, Christian, actually recognize him from Fear Street. He plays the obnoxious friend, um, but he's a super charismatic actor, so I could see him fitting as Chameleon. But uh, Calypso is a cool addition to the film. She's got this on-again, off-again relationship with uh, Craven. She's this voodoo priestess who I really remember her from like the McFarlane run on Spider-Man and his like epic artwork. So um, it'll, it'll be cool to see like what she adds to the story. I'm just curious to see like how big of a role she actually has in the movie. All right, so lastly, Spider-Man No Way Home director John Watts reportedly in talks to direct a Star Wars Disney Plus series. Disney is really loving their Star Wars successes on Disney Plus because now we're hearing more news about future projects as Disney is talking with John Watts about directing a new series as reported by Discussing Film. Right now, the project in question is completely unknown, but has a working title of Grammar Rodeo. But right now, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if the project in question was the Bo-Katan series that was rumored not too long ago. So yeah, I mean, this is definitely not surprising news, uh, especially with all of John Watts' recent success, especially with, um, you know, Spider-Man No Way Home. I'm sure he's Hollywood's golden boy at this point. Um, And he's even directing the upcoming Fantastic Four film. So is he supposed to be the showrunner? on the series or is he just directing the episodes or like some of the episodes i mean so far they've only listed him for directing i don't know if that's going to lead him into being just the showrunner but i could also see them just doing one director for the series i mean i think they're doing that with obi-wan if they're not correct yeah i believe it's being directed by uh deborah chow um 
but I don't think she's actually the showrunner. I believe that's still um, John Favreau. So I'm wondering if that's the same scenario for you know John Watts's series, or if he's just going to be part of a group of directors like we've seen with uh, the Mandalorian. I believe uh, the Book of Boba Fett also had multiple multiple uh, directors too. But regardless of the situation, whether like he's part of an ensemble group of directors or if he's getting his own series, I feel like he brings a lot to the table. So it would be completely fine if they just like handed him his own series. I think that'd be great. Oh, and I could see him having his own film as well. I mean, he, as we've seen with the Spider-Man films, can handle that large ensemble cast and give everyone enough time with their own stories. God, it just feels like another Star Wars film is like so far down the pipeline at this point. Uh-huh. It feels like they're so focused on series. Like we haven't heard a rumor about a Star Wars film in a while. Um, you know, besides, you know, everything that was going on with uh, Patty Jenkins um, Rogue Squadron film. No, but I believe in a recent interview, Disney was pretty much forward about like we want to do series because they're just being so successful right now. No, and I don't blame them at all. You know, Mm -hmm. and honestly, it feels like the superior storytelling model at this point, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. Like, I want to see a Star Wars film, but I mean, I've been loving these series, so I'm not complaining. At this point, I'm sure they're just trying to hammer out, like, what direction they want to take, you know, the films uh, when it comes to the future of the franchise. I mean, obviously, they want to tell the story of the Mon Calamari and, you know, Admiral Akbar's rise to power. You son of a bitch. No one wants an Admiral Akbar film, Christian. <laughs> How dare you? No Mon Calamari, <laughs> no rebellion. You got to remember that. Okay, whatever. <laughs> I hate you so much. And also, before we step away from news, there is a big rumor coming from Making Star Wars that the Obi-Wan series could introduce a new Force wielder named Navi. Potential spoilers, as a lot of these rumors have come true in the last year or so, but it is believed that Navi's character is a young Jedi looking to spark rebellion and find Obi-Wan in order to start a new Jedi Order. Navi's potentially gung-ho spirit is believed to catch attention from the Inquisitors, which will lead them into conflict with Obi-Wan, who's just trying to, you know, keep a low profile on Tatooine. And I mean, that description alone definitely sounds like something that this series would do in introducing the Inquisitors to Obi-Wan. But making Star Wars is also speculated that due to the description of the character, that may actually be played by Kamal Najani, who was already actually announced to play an undisclosed role in this series. But I'm sure as we get closer to this series release, we will find out a whole lot more. Obi-Wan Kenobi debuts on Disney Plus May 25th. All right, Christian, so you headed to the theaters this past weekend, and you've got a film to review for us. That's right, I saw Uncharted. Warning, spoiler alert. Minor spoilers for Uncharted ahead. You have been warned. And now, our feature presentation. There are places out there you can't find on any map. They're not gone. They're just lost. Street smart Nathan Drake is recruited by a seasoned treasure hunter, Sully, to recover a fortune amassed by Ferdinand Magellan and lost 500 years ago by the House of Moncada. Uncharted is directed by Ruben Flesher, and it stars Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg. This film being another stab at making a solid video game franchise into a multi-million dollar movie franchise was, of course, something I had to check out for the show. And to start off, for the first time, I didn't 
feel like I was watching something that was missing a key element of its source material or character. Like we have definitely gotten out of recent game-based films like Tomb Raider or Assassin's Creed. This was actually a somewhat enjoyable experience, but far from being a truly memorable one. Tom Holland as Nathan Drake sets out on a national treasure-like adventure to find the lost gold of Magellan after running into his missing brother's former heist partner, Sully, as played by Mark Wahlberg. From the jump, and without spoiling anything, you will know exactly what's happening in this film from the first 10 minutes. There was only a, like about one surprise, I think, that actually caught me off guard while everything else was just incredibly predictable. The overall gist of this film felt like the studio was playing it as safe as they could. Another way to look at it, and this was actually you know, how I felt after I left the film, was that Sony took everything they had learned from their most recent successes and created a you know, super cookie cutter film. But that's not to say that the actors didn't do a good job of what they were given. You know, the chemistry between Wahlberg and Holland was fun to watch. On top of that, Holland is fantastic in doing his own stunts, which really gives this film a massive edge in the you know, action film world as the film wasn't forced to then hide its action sequences with millions of jump cuts or you know, crazy fucking shaky cam. But like most who actually know the character of Nathan Drake, it was hard at times to separate Holland from his teenage role of Peter Parker. While he's you know running around solving this mystery, drinking and swearing in this film, I just kept thinking that's just Spider-Man cursing. When it comes to the effects, um, they all seemed pretty simple. Nothing was nothing was ever too like noticeable to the fact where it, you know bothered me to watch. And again, this all comes back to Holland doing his own stunts. You know, I mean, there is this. There are sequences where they're flying through the air, and of course you can tell CGI was used, but the cinematography benefited greatly because it was then able to focus on displaying far better shots than we would get in a lot of action films that have to constantly cover up their action sequences. And there were actually certain points where I could possibly see the film that Holland pitched about being a young Bond being something that could possibly work. But anyway, while I do know that Sony is steamrolling ahead with this franchise, unless they do something in the future, you know, to make these films a little bit more gripping with their script, I just can't imagine them having the traction to pull off multiple successes. But you know, there is the Fast and Furious films that have over nine massively large films that bring in money every single time. So I guess anything is possible. Uh, my grade for Uncharted is going to be a B. Damon, you got lucky and got to watch a movie from home this week. Did I though, Christian? Did I? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's right, I saw the newest Texas Chainsaw Massacre film streaming on Netflix. Warning, spoiler alert. Minor spoilers for Texas Chainsaw Massacre ahead. You have been warned. This is hard, Steve. Sally? I'm afraid your old friend's back. 50 years I've been waiting for this night. Just to see him again. After nearly 50 years of hiding, Leatherface returns to terrorize a group of idealistic young friends who accidentally disrupt his carefully shielded world in a remote Texas town. This was directed by David Blue Garcia and stars Sarah Yarkin and Elsie Fisher. So when I heard Fede Alvarez was producing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre film, it sounded like a marriage made in heaven for a horror fan. 
being a huge fan of the Chainsaw franchise, the last couple of lackluster tries to get the series back on track have just been painful to watch. So Alvarez, whose resume includes the Evil Dead remake and Don't Breathe, just felt like the right guy to bring back Leatherface to his original glory. But sadly, what we got instead was a disjointed mess that feels more interested in a strange, blurry social commentary that really goes nowhere than actual cohesive storytelling. So the film's about a group of friends who I think are influencers? And maybe chefs? I mean, honestly, I have no idea. Um, but they bought a small town in Texas for a business venture of some sort. Uh, but when they're about to show it off to potential investors, they end up awakening Leatherface, who's apparently been hiding in an old orphanage for decades. So honestly, I don't even know where to start with this film. I mean, I guess we could start with the positives. So director David Blue Garcia made a decent looking film with some creative kills that as a gorehound I, I could respect and was even entertained by. There are glimmers of promise throughout the film of what I was expecting from a chainsaw movie with Fede Alvarez producing. But unfortunately, those moments are attached to a story and characters I just didn't care about because we didn't get any time to get to know them, which meant the film was completely void of any kind of suspense or tension. Things just kind of happened to happen. And then we have this like whole survivor narrative that's supposed to like run between Sally, the final girl from the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and this teenager who survived a tragic event in her own past that just goes absolutely nowhere because it's just so poorly executed. And honestly, I feel like that's being kind. Um, <laughs> this film tries to trick you to believe you that it has a message, but all of its ideas are just half-baked. It's like someone decided to make a film with just a rough draft or an outline. Like the script needed to be workshopped more, or, or just needed a couple more drafts. I mean, everything with Sally feels so ham-fisted and a complete afterthought. It's like someone saw the success of Halloween 2018 and ordered some reshoots to include the Sally character. But the problem is, is the audience just doesn't have the same connection to that character that they do to the Laurie Strode character from Halloween. So it just ends up feeling like a really lazy copy and paste job because of that. Especially since she doesn't really like cross paths with any of the other characters in the film until the finale. But here's what I think is the core problem with this film and probably the last two entries is just why do people keep on trying to reinvent the wheel when it comes to Leatherface? And I guess this is more of a, a rant than a review at this point, but whatever. Um, it's like they just need to follow the old adage, keep it simple, stupid. You know, that's what this franchise needs, I believe, to actually like thrive again. Like, these films should all be about a boy and his chainsaw and his insane fucking family of cannibals. And that's it. I mean, focus less on trying to modernize the story and more on trying to recapture the grime and grit of Toby Hooper's original films. Because the story of Leatherface doesn't need to be modernized to resonate. I mean, the sheer horror of the visceral experience you get watching these films is timeless when done right. I mean, that's what really makes the original film a true classic to this day. So while some of the kills were inspired and fun, the film as a whole just wasn't.
It was more of a frustrating, forgettable exercise in futility. And that's why I'm going to go ahead and give this chapter of Leatherface a D plus. And I'll be honest, I'm grading on a curve here because I did love the final shot of the movie so much that I bumped up my grade to a D plus. Um, I honestly rewatched it about three times because it was just so fucking hilarious. But unfortunately, it was attached to the rest of this movie. But anyway, go ahead and check out Texas Chainsaw Massacre for yourself. It's currently streaming on Netflix. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. This past week in gaming saw the release of the Steam Deck during one of the biggest game release months this year. This handheld device promised to bring PC gaming on the go with you, and so far there have been surprisingly a lot of positive reviews towards it. Coming in at around $399, you get a device pushing 1280 by 800 with somewhere between 40 to 60 frames per second. However, reviewers have pointed out to run games at 60 frames per second, you're going to chew through a lot of your battery life pretty quickly. Though unlike the Switch, you can control the settings and optimize gameplay to your liking in ways that may help extend your battery life on game titles, especially the more extensive ones. But the other aspect looked as a negative so far is the dullness of the screen. I mean, it, it seems like you really can tell where they kind of cut corners to allow this device to be at a cheaper price point. But in my eyes, the biggest aspect in this thing's potential is how it's able to run games that could practically never be played on the Switch without, you know, being incredibly downgraded. The PC-like settings features, you know, and easily replaceable controller components are definitely an aspect that make this handheld device a little bit more of an appealing system in the long run. Though in its infancy, it's going to take a little bit more time for the Steam library to actually get ready for this console. As you know, right now, not every game is actually compatible. So if you're looking to, you know, maybe get into the Steam Deck right now, it's probably going to feel a little bit more like an investment rather than something that's ready to go right out the box. But when you think about it, that's how most consoles are these days. And I have a good feeling that for the Steam Deck, and you know, this is for a lack of better words, is just picking up Steam in general. This past week also saw the launch of what many are already calling Game of the Year, Elden Ring. And actually we here on the stream side of The Amazing Nerd Show hopefully have actually started it on stream once this episode airs. But for those of you who play on PC may want to wait until Bandai Namco comes out with an update. Bandai Namco has already actually come out and apologized for the poor launch on PC as performance issues have riddled the experience at launch. Some are seeing massive frame rate drops, others not even being able to save the game, but Bandai Namco claimed they are hard at work at fixing these issues. And honestly, in this day and age, I'm not at all surprised by launch issues for a game. And I feel like From Software definitely has earned my trust in general. But of course, if you're weary about picking up a $60 game with the potential to have, you know, big bug or poor performance in general, perhaps waiting is in your best interest, especially if you plan to play on PC. But anyway, you'll still be able to catch me struggling to survive in Elden Ring live every Saturday on Twitch, as long as the game still works, of course. And now for a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. Listeners, we've got exciting news from our friends at Manscaped. They've just launched their fourth generation performance package. This ultimate package includes the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Manscaped, the leaders in male grooming, have done it again to make your grooming game next level. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with the new performance package 4.0 by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20amazing. 
Nothing boosts your confidence more than shaving those balls. Not only is it refreshing and cleanly, but your loved ones will appreciate it too. The Performance Package 4.0 by Manscaped has arrived, and oh man, is it worth the wait. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, Crop Preserver ball deodorants, Crop Reviver toner, Performance Boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. The new Performance Package 4.0 includes the new lawnmower 4.0 this trimmer is insane and dare i say the greatest ball trimmer ever yeah i said it their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology the lawnmower 4.0 has a 7000 rpm motor a new multi-function on and off switch can engage a travel lock and gives you the ability to turn the 4000k led spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave and oh, did I mention this trimmer is water resistant too? You thought that was good, but want to take your grooming game to the next level? The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker to chop your worst weeds up top in your nose and ear. The Weed Whacker is also water resistant and uses a 9000 RPM motor powered 360 degree rotary dual blade system. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides skin safe technology which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. Seal the deal with Manscaped's liquid formulations, their Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant for before leaving the house, and their Crop Reviver Ball Toner for a mid-game ball check. Trust me when I say, fellas, your balls will thank you. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Bring your comfort in boxers to another level. So folks, get 20% off plus free shipping with the code 20amazing at manscaped.com. That's right, 20% off plus free shipping when you use our promo code 20amazing at manscaped.com. Your balls have been through enough this past year. Treat them with the best tools for the job with Manscaped. I went home and I cried and I cried and I cried, but finally I stopped because I realized today's Friday and that means tonight I get to meet my hero CM Punk at an autograph signing. CM Punk, my hero, the guy I looked up to. CM Punk, the best in the world. Well, Christian, this week, the ongoing soap opera of the world of wrestling kept on turning out news as we found out that Cesaro is now a free agent, seemingly out of nowhere. Yeah, this really did come out of nowhere, but I'm super excited to see Cesaro out in the world of wrestling now, you know, out of that sports entertainment hell that is WWE. <laughs> he never really had a shot, did he, right? Like no, it's unfortunate because he's such a great talent. I mean, I... I love everything that he does in the ring. No, I agree 100%. And I feel like, you know, now we're going to see him unleashed. Yes. Um, kind of what we're getting from, you know, Brian Danielson. Um, you know, we'll get like Ring of Honor Cesaro, you know, back. I just had so much hope for him, you know, after last year, him having a featured mm -hmm. match on WrestleMania. But I'm wondering if one of the reasons why his push seemed to go nowhere is because he just refused to sign like a longer term contract. Uh, apparently he was on just a one year extension, uh, you know, this entire past year, but I guess oh, okay. either negotiations just fell through or he just wasn't willing to listen. And I mean, who could blame him after, you know, years of being misbooked? 
No, exactly. And I feel like he, even if he doesn't join like another big company at this point, he'll, he'll make it big no matter where he goes. Like he will be treated like a main eventer. Oh yeah. No. And he can pretty much go wherever he wants. Exactly. You know? Um, you know, I could see him in new Japan. Um, you know, I could see him in, you know, GCW. I could see him, you know, working ROH when they come back, you know, online. Uh, for me, if I was Tony Khan, like he would be a wrestler that I couldn't pass up, um, at least, you know, have to make an offer to, uh, mm-hmm. just because he's that talented, you know, and he's not getting any younger. So, and I know, I mean, Khan at this point, his roster is more than overbloated, but, you know, we're seeing that he's slowly starting to cut bait with a lot of talents as their contracts come up. He's just kind of letting them expire. So maybe he'll have more wiggle room and, you know, room on the card as, you know, time goes by over the next, like, couple months. But at the same time, I mean... <laughs> he does have a lot of wrestlers under contract, so yes. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised either way. Whatever happens to Cesaro in the future, you know, I, I hope for the best for him. I do hope he kind of retires the swing, though. I think I'm over it. No, I agree. I mean, it feels like such a WWE, you know, spot at this point. Um, I'm not sure if he was doing it like, you know, in ROH. I, I doubt it, though. I could be wrong. Um but yeah, no, I mean, and we've seen like, you know, Brian Danielson be just fine, you know, not doing the yes chant. So I'm mm-hmm. sure Cesaro can survive without the fucking swing. I mean, fuck it, man. People are getting up the moment he starts stomping on faces now. Like, <laughs> right. So to bring up some other news uh, this past week on the Busted Open radio show, Tony Khan teased another huge announcement coming down the road in the near future. Um, a lot of people are speculating that it might be a streaming deal. Uh, if that's the case, I'm hoping that means, you know, they'll be able to add another show. Um, and maybe, you know, they'll be able to better utilize their roster. Because right now, you know, like I said before, it feels so bloated. And, you know, you have people debuting like Keith Lee. And then, you know, just a couple shows later, he feels almost like an afterthought or like Jay Lethal, mm-hmm. if you will. And I know, you know, Keith Lee's going to have, a, you know, a big pay-per-view match and everything. But it just feels like he's signed so many people over the past, like, couple months. And I don't know. There's, like, no follow-up a lot of times, you know, with these signees. So they just kind of lose momentum. So I, I really feel like they need another, like, you know main show to get you know you know all these talents the proper amount of time to really shine um you know even if they added an hour to rampage like we've been talking about that for a while that rampage feels like it needs to be two hours long um you know it it is nice like just having that quick like bite-sized hour every week of wrestling but, I mean, Jesus Christ, I mean, some of these storylines need to be, like, fleshed out, hmm. you know? I mean, just the ability to add even just two more matches to that show mm-hmm. in general, I think, would be a huge benefit for them. Or, like I said, maybe, you know, a streaming service like HBO Max, like, picks them up, and then, you know, all their content is on there, and that gives them the flexibility to do other shows, and make it feel bigger, you know, than just, like, a, another dark or elevation, um, because regardless of, you know, how many matches they put on those, you know, YouTube shows, they're still just YouTube shows. 
So they're they're only getting a small like fraction of their audience. Where mm. I feel like if it's on a streaming service, you're gonna get more eyes on the product and give more wrestlers opportunities to, you know, gain momentum in the company. But I mean, speaking of needing, you know, more TV time for all these wrestlers, apparently Tony definitely has not stopped offering people contracts. Rumor right now is that Swerve Scott is on his way to the promotion. Uh, and uh, Jeff Hardy has pretty much just confirmed that he's also headed to AEW after his no compete clauses. Hell up. yeah. Can this please start something new for Matt Hardy so he can no longer be oh, whatever I'm sure this he's gimmick just is? Gonna- you know, reteed <laughs> with, you know, Jeff and we're just going to uh-huh. get extreme at, you know, you know, and just get a Hardy Boys reunion tour. I think they're already booked on the indies uh, in a couple of matches so that that okay. that tour is already <laughs> starting. So it's just, you know, whether or not we're going to get it on AEW TV, which it feels like that's the direction they're going in right now. There, There's some tension between mm. him and Andrade happening with uh, A.H. F.O., I believe they're calling it now. They just, I think they sure. just added Andrade's <laughs> initial to the group. So, mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, they're awful. I mean, they're really just like, you know, cannon fodder <laughs> at this point. Uh, so, I, I feel like they'll be breaking up sooner than later. Uh, and then, you know, Matt can join up with his brother. And then, also, on this past week's Dynamite, we saw the debut of the former Buddy Murphy uh, as Buddy Matthews, right? Okay, that's going to take a while to get down, right? (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, as it was hinted last week on Dynamite, uh, he's joined the House of Black uh, in a very similar role to what he had in WWE, where he seems to be kind of the lackey of the group. Um, You know, he was with uh, Seth Rollins for a long time and his little cult. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think him and um, Black did have like a feud going on uh, before Black left the company. So, I mean, I do like that they kind of played up the history. And I mean, the crowd definitely popped big when, you know, he appeared in the ring after the lights went off and on again, which at this point I'm just getting kind of tired of. I won't lie. I feel like Jim Ross when it comes to the lights going on and off. Like <laughs> you could tell that it like, you know, drives him absolutely insane. I feel like there's gotta be a better gimmick for House of Black, you know, instead of turning the lights on and off over and over again. So I just want them to at least time it to the music. Because like even the tag team version of their entrance has clear spots where those lights should be coming on and off and it they don't seem to ever hit them. No, I agree. And like something's off with the music also with their entrance. Like it doesn't like completely work with what they're doing with, you know, their presentation and their light show. Right. Like, I Mm. I, I don't know. They need to find like the perfect fit, um, you know, for for their entrance, I feel like. But I do love, you know, the idea of the team overall. And I'm excited to see, you know, what they have in store for them. And you know what? Before we move on to, you know, some more like dynamite highlights, I totally forgot. Uh, Brian Cage reportedly says that AEW actually picked up his contract option for the year. So that's another guy. Because, <laughs> I mean, we all kind of just believe that Cage was done with the company and they're just kind of waiting his mm-hmm. contract out because we haven't seen him on TV in months. And we definitely heard all the whispering that they're probably going to be parting ways. So, I mean, I was really surprised to see this report. Because apparently the only person Tony feels comfortable letting go is Cody. At this point, right? <laughs> I guess so. But 
I, I can't imagine them picking up Brian Cage after his extension. I, I, I imagine that's got to end there. Right? I just don't like if you don't have plans for him, mm-hmm. why extend him for a year? Right. Contingency. I don't know. Apparently, like Tony does have a budget that he's supposed mm-hmm. to be following. So I'm, you know, unless he really just didn't want another wrestler possibly heading over to WWE. You know, after the optics of Cody leaving. Mm-hmm. So I mean, maybe it was a defensive move. I feel like WWE would eat Brian Cage up for sure. I I think the only problem, like, they would love his look and, and his athleticism, but I think he's on the older side. So, and they're more about pushing younger talent at this point. Fair enough. But I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, if you don't have plans for him in the near future or, you know, half of your roster, then you really need to start kind of, I don't know, rethinking your hiring practices. Because at this point, it just kind of feels like you're hoarding, right? Yeah. But hey, I mean, it's not my money. So, I mean, if, you know, Tony's comfortable with it, more power to him. But he does feel like a young David in like a Toys R Us aisle, like buying like (laughs) wrestling action figures at this point. (laughs) Yes, a young Damon. (laughs) Wanting everything that he could possibly get his hands on. Uh Did you actually watch Dynamite this week, Christian? Yes, I actually watched Dynamite this week, a couple hours before we started recording. Look at that. We're recording on Thursday, by the way. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, what were some highlights of the show for you? We'll just talk highlights this week since we had so much news. Well, I think the biggest moment for me was definitely MJF's you know, big promo this week, coming out almost like a baby face, uh, telling us you know, about the hardships he went through before he got that picture with CM Punk. Yes, I mean... It was a classic babyface like promo. Um, I was just like waiting through the entire thing for the other shoe to drop, mm-hmm. and it never did. You know, like all the way to him like walking back up the ramp with like one, you know, single tear rolling down his cheek. I was like, wait, okay, so it was like Pinnacle underneath the ring, like ready to jump CM Punk. Uh-huh. And that never <laughs> happened. <laughs> I thought it was an amazing promo. I mean, he had the crowd in the palm of his hands. It was just like masterfully done. Because if you listen to that promo, the crowd at first are like kind of like resisting, like, Mm -hmm. you know, going along with him for the ride. And then by the middle of it, like they're just completely entranced by what what they're watching. And I just love that he turned Punk's promo from last week completely around against him. You know, where Punk came out and, you know, held up the picture of those two, you know, when, you know, MJF met Punk at an autograph signing and, you know, said, like, this was the best day of your life. And for me, this was just a a Friday. I thought it was just awesome seeing him, you know, turn that promo against him and really getting into Punk's head to the point where Punk comes out and, you know, without a microphone, you know, questioning whether or not, you know, what MJF was saying was real. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because that really got across like how great the promo really was. The fact that Punk is even fooled by it. And I'm guessing, you know, once again, it's probably just a big mind fuck by, you know, MJF. And, you know, we're going to find out, you know, that maybe not everything he said was necessarily true. Um, I'm just curious to see how they go about that, you know, or maybe it's all true. And he just gave himself, you know, an origin story of why he's the villain that he is, um, which I would love also. 
So, I mean, I just love the well-layered, like, storytelling and just kind of, like, how unpredictable this all seems mm-hmm. to be. Because I could see it really going either way. I mean, the fact that we're seeing this different side of MJF, uh, that Punk's seeing this different side of MJF, does that make him hesitant, like, in this dog collar match? Maybe lose kind of that killer instinct that he would usually have in a match with that kind of stipulation. I mean, that's what I was thinking the goal was after this. Because, I mean, unless he says something during the match, I, it feels one of those situations where they could either announce this during the match. Like, MJ, I could totally picture MJF picking up a microphone and being like, it was all a lie or, you know, but half isn't truth that going, or something. But isn't that going to motivate Punk during the match, though? Yes, which would be like the foolish heel I think, mistake. I but think that would be something that he would say after the match. Yes, like the next week on Dynamite or something yeah. like that. Or it comes out next week, you know, before the pay-per-view. Since we do have one more Dynamite left and one more Rampage left. So, um, you know, but I would like for it to kind of just float out there and, you, mm-hmm. know, you know, be able to question it. Um, and I... Once again, I would love for it to be true. Like if that story was real and, you know, that was all part of, you know, like I said, his origin story and like his motive for, you know, being who he is, mm-hmm. you know, because every, you know, villain is the hero in their own story. So I mean, I don't know. It's just it's I mean, it's really classic comic book shit, honestly. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Do you think we could see a situation where we get like almost a double turn? I mean. I'm hopeful for a CM Punk heel turn in the near future, but I don't I don't picture it being a part of this storyline. I don't I don't think I want to see an MGF babyface turn, though. Yeah. Either, right. <laughs> you know, it would be, I don't know, different. But at the same time, you know, I feel like the money is with, you know, MGF as the, you know, top heel of the company. So, I mean, maybe somewhere down the line, but just not now. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like he needs to hold the world title as heel before he ever goes babyface. Absolutely. I agree. Um, another highlight for me was the Eddie Kingston Jericho promo. Um, it got me really stoked for that match at the pay-per-view. Uh-huh. I thought they were both great. Kingston is just on fire on the mic right now. Um, anytime he gets an opportunity. Um, you know, we've seen him do it with uh, Brian Danielson. And we've seen it with him and uh, CM Punk. Uh, He knows how to talk people's asses into seats, if you will. Uh, You know, this was kind of a feud that I was lukewarm on. uh, But then what we got on Dynamite got me, you know, once again, super excited for it. The fact that we have Jericho playing very much the role of the heel, even though it's a little understated at this point. Um, You know, calling out Kingston, telling him he'll never win the big one. Um, basically calling him a loser throughout uh-huh. the promo, uh, you know, and pointing out, giving us all the reasons why. And then, you know, Kingston, you know, basically challenging Jericho to tap into the best versions of himself um, or, you know, Kingston's going to eat him alive. Um, I could really see Jericho putting him over in this match mm-hmm. because it feels like Kingston's like just a couple of promos and a couple big matches away from being the hottest baby face, you know, in the company at this point. I think it's a real possibility we see him have some sort of a title run in the near future, you know, whether it be, you know, the TNT title or, you know, the world title. 
But I just love how Kingston is able to like, not even during his own promo, but when others are going at him, just constantly pick it apart. You know, he's, he was commenting about, you know, how Jericho brings up, you know, wrestling terms and like baby face. And he's like, no, this is he makes it feel more real when he's just bringing out this character, you know, against every single opponent he has. And that's what made this fight even more desirable, knowing that this just feels like Kingston wants to beat some guy. You know, it's mm -hmm. not like it, there's two different characters, a heel and a face. It's two guys in a ring. Everything Kingston does is authentic. Yes. Everything Kingston does feels real. And the fact that like he completely like rejected Jericho using the term babyface because if it was, you know, if wrestling was real, they wouldn't know what the term babyface mm -hmm. meant, you know? So, of course, he's not going to acknowledge, you know, that Carney term, right? Exactly. Um, I'm, I'm surprised he didn't, like, you know, push back against the word jabroni, right? But I'm sure at the end of this, like, Jericho will be the full-fledged heel, um, you know, he's been laying seeds for the last, like, month or so. Like, when he started calling himself the influencer, like, I was like, oh, heel turn's coming. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so this is definitely, like, one of the matches I'm, you know, most looking forward to at the pay-per-view at this point. Another match that started to take shape for the pay-per-view was the tag team title match. Uh, we had a battle royal, a tag team battle royal uh, to start off Dynamite, uh, which I thought was okay-ish. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, a tag team battle royal, I mean, I'll be honest, just sounds like a giant clusterfuck to me. And it was kind of that at first. I absolutely abhor the visual of all the tag teams outside of the ring waiting for the bell to ring so they can jump into the <laughs> ring and start the match. It just reminds me so much of the, the horrible uh, TNA uh, reverse battle royal that they did in the past where they're like literally fighting to get into the ring. I'm glad I didn't watch TNA. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. TNA definitely had its highlights and, you know, brought us some of the best wrestlers in the world uh, that we're still watching today. But then there are, there are matches like that that makes you fucking cringe. But anyway, you know, about halfway through the match, I thought they started doing some good storytelling. Um, and really like featuring, you know, some of their top tag teams. I love the fact that they teased, you know, a future match possibly between FTR and Young Bucks because I can't believe we haven't had that rematch yet. Mm -hmm. um, they did a good job of really kind of, you know, giving some spotlight to Santana and Ortiz, who actually thought had a chance to win the match here, even though like all arrows are pointing to like the Bucks and, you know, Red Dragon you know, being part of the three-way match at the pay-per-view. Um, it just makes sense. Um, but I don't know. I was kind of, I was, I don't know. I was rooting for them because I want to see them like finally get a tag team title run, you know, in the near future. So, um, you know, and I feel like that's still a possibility, you know, because I have a feeling at the pay-per-view, if it is the Bucks and, you know, uh, Red Dragon in that match against uh, Jurassic Express, that they're going to, 
just cancel each other out and mm-hmm. Jurassic Express is gonna still walk out, you know, the champs, just adding further drama and turmoil to their storyline. In the end, we were left with about, I think, six members of the final, like, teams, all just single members, of course, and they all just went at it. Um, eventually, Red Dragon knocked out the Young Bucks from the ring. Um, and I was actually confused about this because I, I thought from the promos that the Young Bucks would be in a completely separate battle royal, but it is what it is. It's that we're doing two of these. No, I was but. confused by that, too, because I, I really thought it was going to be like, oh, you know, we were taking half the tag teams, putting them in this match to qualify, you know, for the pay-per-view, you know, title match. And then, you know, taking the other half of the tag teams and putting them in this other match, which I guess is going to end up being like a casino battle royale, you know, tag team match. I don't I, know. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I can't keep their gimmick matches straight at this point. No, it's... But, uh, you know, and then you would have Red Dragon on one side coming out victorious and the Young Bucks on the other side coming out, you know, victorious and then having the friction start there. But apparently that's not the case. Um, They do have a lot of tag teams, though. So, although it would be weird, though, if, you know, the Bucks are the only tag team to be in both matches. But apparently it's... You know, this week was a battle royal, but next week is like a casino battle royal. Oh, okay. Which I don't, I don't even honestly know the difference. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think that one's more like Royal Rumble style, right? I, where yeah, where they're slowly coming out with their card suits oh, is that and what shit they, like that's that. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I'm not a fan of that. Mm-mm. Yeah, that's one of those gimmick matches that AEW does that they could kind of, I don't know. I don't know, get rid of. I, I wouldn't be too sad, right? Um, but yeah, no. I, so it just made sense for like, you know, oh, the Bucks win this match and then, you know, Red Dragon wins that match and then there's friction, you know, between both teams. Mm. But instead, they were just in the same match together. And I mean, they have enough teams to like have two separate matches, right? Which you know um, might play into the idea of if you have enough for two battle royals, maybe you can get rid of a couple people. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Because there are a lot of tag teams that weren't part of this week's battle royal. No, they really do need a trios title, though. Yes, right. Absolutely. I think that would kind of you know help the tag team division out a little. So you're not just kind of like wasting away. You know, if you're lower on the card, it gives you something to do if you're not in like that, you know, title picture. Mm -hmm. But I mean, even in this match, similar to how the Young Bucks are going to probably be in next week's, I'm sure plenty of teams from this battle royal will be in there just because they laid the groundwork like uh, Gun Club, you know, getting knocked out randomly in this match. uh, I definitely could see playing into the second battle royal if they wanted to do more stories Mm -hmm. like that. You know, and they've been pushing the gun club lately. Mm-hmm. I mean, they did have, uh, you know, a tag team title match on Rampage. So, uh, and you know what? I got to say, they weren't bad. You know, they're they're a lot more impressive than the last time I saw them. So they're definitely growing as a team. I think the one brother, the taller brother, literally just started wrestling this past year. Oh, okay. So he's like brand new, you know, to the world of wrestling. So, I mean, you got to give credit where credit's due. Um, but yeah, no, I, I did love the finish of the match. I loved how Kylo Riley really duped Matt Jackson mm-hmm. that he needed help to throw out. I believe it was Dax, right? Um, and then all of a sudden Kyle sneaks up behind, you know, Matt and tosses them both out. So just classic heel shit. But yeah, after the match, you know, 
things get heated between the Bucks and Red Dragon. You know, the Bucks obviously feel betrayed by them. Adam Cole has to come out to try to keep the peace. But that ends up bringing out Adam Page, uh, you know, who clears house, basically. The Bucks don't even get involved. They just kind of walk away. Potentially, you know, maybe laying seeds to a reunion. With, you know, Paige in the near future, especially if Cole chooses, you know, Red Dragon over the Bucks. And we did find out this past week that it looks like Kenny's going to be on the shelf for a little while longer. Uh, he hasn't even had a couple of the surgeries that he needs to get done. So originally we were hearing that he'd be back in February. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't sound like that's going to be the case at all. So it seems like it's going to be closer to the summer. So it looks like that Cole and Omega feud is going to have to wait. Having the Bucks join forces with Paige kind of fills that void. But overall, I thought it was a really well done segment um, and really helped build the match between Paige and Cole for the pay-per-view. I mean, I wasn't too hot on the promo that Paige did when he was, you know, doing story time, but I, you know, I still a little out of breath. Right. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> and you could tell he's not used to cutting like, you know, these big promos in the mm -hmm. middle of the ring, but I feel like he'll get there. Like I, I see a lot of potential in him. And of course, another big highlight would be the closing of our show where we had Brian Danielson going up against Daniel Garcia. Um, right before this, he had a great promo, you know, pretty much explaining, you know, he wants to bring out the violence in Daniel Garcia. And I, I think we really got to see that in this match. They were both hitting hard throughout the entire match. I did think that was a little funny because I was like, Daniel Garcia is pretty fucking violent. So I don't uh. know. <laughs> I mean, they, they do call him like Red Death, right? Yeah, that's on his shorts. Yeah, <laughs> for a reason, because um, uh. that guy will fucking stretch you. Um, I thought this was a great matchup. Uh, the crowd did seem a little out of it at first, um, but it was the end of the show. And I mean, a lot happened on this show. So and I'm guessing they probably thought, oh, this is just going to be a glorified squash match, which it wasn't. You know, um, you know, Brian did a great job of getting, you know, Daniel Garcia over. Um, you know, as a future, you know, main eventer eventually. So, and I would love if they do, you know, Moxley and, you know, Brian do join forces to see like them take uh, Daniel Garcia underneath their wings. Uh, because, I mean, it just feels right. You know, he fits really well with, you know, Brian Danielson. But anyway, at the end of the match, you know, after, you know, Brian eventually put Garcia away. Uh, we had Moxley hit the ring and, you know, Brian accepted his offer for a match at the pay-per-view. So it looks like they're going to bleed together. Whether, you know, Brian Danielson likes it or not. Well, I love that Danielson was like, I, you don't be surprised when you're the only one bleeding. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's going to be a great match. Yeah, no, it, it is. It is. I'm excited for it. I'm hoping that it leads to a partnership between the two. Yeah, I'm, I want all three of them to work together. Uh, hit uh, the two of them and CM Punk. Oh, Punk? Yeah, they got a lot of groundwork to cover there, though. You know, uh -huh. so we'll see. <laughs> That's just me daydreaming. Uh -huh. <laughs> Although we did see, you know, Moxley and Punk team up together. So I could see him eventually getting involved in that storyline. Um, you know, and maybe he does join forces. Who knows? But let, let's let's get like Moxley and, you know, Brian. Uh. On the same page first. <laughs> and then we can worry about Punk. But yeah, I mean, that pretty much does it highlight-wise, you know. Make sure to join us next week as we go ahead and make our predictions 
for AEW Revolution. Well, that does it for this week. That's right, and as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly, it sure does help an independent podcast like ours to continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right, you can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some Amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest in the world of nerdum. And as we just mentioned moments ago, we'll be previewing AEW's Revolution. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Blast came from the Death Star. That thing's operational. On one, this is gold, leader. It's all right. All right, prepare to retreat. You won't get another chance at this, Admiral. We have no choice, General Calrissian. Our cruisers can't repel firepower of that magnitude.